0: It's good to be back with you again, and thank you for allowing Amy and I to take a much-needed vacation, Um, and we're glad to be back, and it's good to see all of you as well. I bring greetings from green and warm Florida, and uh, if that just helps you listen a little bit better, I wanted you to know that. If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to be looking at, I'm going to hopefully draw some imagery up from the context from about... Two weeks ago, we have this dandelion seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the name of Philip. And Philip is a Hellenistic Jew who just recently had one of his Hellenistic brothers, Stephen, stoned by the Sanhedrin and Paul. And Jesus' words and really his prophecy is, coming true, that you will share my word in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, until the ends of the earth. And we see here that the church is now spreading out of its mother church, Jerusalem, into Judea. And, and Philip is going to land in a very difficult place to share the gospel. In my brain, it's the Midwest of Israel. It is the Bible Belt in Michigan, the Grand Rapids area of Israel. And we're going to pick that up in verse 8. And it says this. No? Where do I want it? It's been two weeks, all right? So there's going to be blue smoke pumping out of my ears while my brain fires up again. Mm, where did we leave off two weeks ago? Talk to me. Eight? Yeah, let's start in verse nine then. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city of Samaria and astonishing the people there, claiming to be someone great. Oh, I wonder who he was claiming to be. We'll find out in just a little bit. It is someone that, that you will recognize And they all, from the smallest in the city of Samaria to the greatest, were giving all their attention to Simon, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time been astonishing them with his sorcery or magic or occultic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, many people in Samaria were, were placing their faith in Jesus Christ and were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and he was observing signs and great miracles taking place and he was constantly being amazed, which says a lot about someone who was a sorcerer. He was amazed at what Philip was doing. Now when the apostles in the home city of Jerusalem who stayed behind because the primary object of persecution, I'm inserting context here, you're probably going, what version is he reading from? A flawed one right up here, all right? But I'm just inserting context here, all right? What verse was I on? Talk to me. 14? Well, we're going to be here a long time tonight. Now, tonight, it's not night, it's morning. Focus, folks. And when those who stayed behind, the apostles in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria, those dogs, received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, and Peter immediately got angry, because that is Peter's spiritual gift, folks, all right? And we're going to see him get angry here in a moment, but first let's see some compassion. They came down, and Peter and John prayed over these Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them like he did with the apostles. And they simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they began laying on their hands on them, and they were, as they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw, now it's not said here, but there was clearly something seen here. When Simon saw the Spirit being bestowed upon them by the laying of the apostles' hands, he said, Hey, I want to offer you some money. Give me the authority to do this as well, that everyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, exercising his spiritual gift of anger, said, now this would be righteous indignation, may your silver perish with you. Now the English translation has softened this a bit. Because we have to be, give me some words, as civilized Western people, we need to do what? We need to what? Give me some words. We need to be nice. I like that. We should be nice, especially you, Steve. All right, I'm joking. Where's my brother? Where's my brother, Steve? There he is. Uh, what are some, we have to make things appropriate. Can I give you a literal translation of this? All those in favor of being offended without, without uh, it being polished what, straight from the Greek, signify by saying, I... Paul say, I just want it to be nice. Peter says, literally translated, to hell with you and your money. Now that's not very seeker sensitive if you think about it, all right? But he is, and that he shares the gospel here with us as well. And Peter says, uh, in verse, what verse am I in? 20, We're, we're moving now. And Peter said to him, to hell with your money. Because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. Nothing God has is available for purchase. Amen, church? Nothing he has is available for purchase. It is purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have no part in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent. Notice belief has something inside of it, and it's called repentance. Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and you're in bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, I don't really want to repent myself. Why don't you go ahead and do it for me, Peter? Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing which you have said, the unfined version, may happen upon me. With that being said, let's ask God's blessing. We'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father,
1: we come before you. And like my brother John said in our meeting, you chose to reveal yourself to us. Father, we sinned against You and You would have been right to do nothing. But in Your mercy and in Your grace, You revealed Yourself to us through Your Word and above all else, Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I confess my sin. Father, give me wit. Give me humor. Give me passion. Give me intellect. Give me truth. Father, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be both. Father, I don't want to teach cute truisms. I want to teach you. So my one prayer this morning is that you would be found. You would be glorified. Your Son would be exalted. And this church would be pure in chase in your sight. Not because we're perfect. Far from it, Lord. But because your Son is See us in his righteousness. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And I, Father, I pray this and I ask this in your
0: son's precious name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Amen. All right. We should probably just be dismissed, but we haven't started yet. All right. And I'm going to need some water, just so you know. If anyone wanted to get me uh, water or a zero calorie, highly caffeinated drink, let's move forward. Like a dandelion that only spreads its seeds when violently shaken, so often is this true about the church in that the spread of its gospel seeds often spread more quickly and effectively when the church is shaken, when the church is persecuted. And so it was that during the persecution of the early church in Jerusalem that one of its seeds were shaken loose through persecution by the name of Philip, a Hellenistic Jew. Being persecuted by Saul, he flees as a refugee to the city of Samaria, and he began to share the gospel wherever his feet were standing. Hopefully that draws up a little application from, from a couple of weeks ago. People are getting saved in this city. The sick are being healed. Demons are being cast out. You'll see that in verses 1 through 8. The lame are walking again. You'll see that in verses 6 through 7. Now, there are many reasons why God allowed Philip to exercise such amazing signs and abilities and miracles and power. Yes, these miracles authenticate what Philip is saying is true and from God himself. And such signs, it's important to understand, such signs are not normative today because we have the complete and finished Word of God at our exposure. However, the context of this passage lends to additional reasons why there are these powerful signs and wonders from uh, Philip at this time. All right, there's my water. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for wearing that hello sticker. My name is it's Kyle, right? Mm-hmm. That's Kyle. And he is on the market. Let's move forward, all right? I do run a kind of an e-harmony. If you're, no, no, I'm just teasing. I know so much about all of you. I just go, uh-uh, uh-uh don't. Yes, that's good. I'm teasing. I would never do that sometimes. Move forward here. Now, because we're this dandelion seed of the kingdom of God called Philip, and let us just remember real quickly here that all of us today are the dandelion seeds of the gospel. In that wherever we find ourselves, whether it be at work or play or home or neighbors or community, that is where we are to share the gospel But where Philip landed and began to share the gospel was under the strong influence of a godless man who practiced the occult or sorcery. Therefore, Philip was given the ability to do amazing things as a means to draw people away from this man. And we begin by looking at verses 9 through 13. Now, I'm not going to read it all. Now, a man named Simon, and we see the context there. And then they said, Philip came along, he's preaching good news. And Simon himself believed, a mushroom cloud there, all right? And miracles were taking place, and Simon was amazed. Now, many of us have heard this story, but I doubt we have dived deeply into the severity of who Simon is in this community It says here, a man named Simon who was practicing magic. Now the word magic here comes from the word priest in the Medo-Persian culture where they called them magi. You can see the connection there, magi, magic. That is where that phrase comes from, all right? It, It was really a combination of astrology and occultic practices. I would go so far as to say dynamic in nature. He is likely an expert in the occult. Now, it's important to understand the historical background of Samaritans in order to fully appreciate the control that he had on this community and why Philip, who, by the way, is not one of the original 12 apostles, in fact, he's a Hellenistic Jew fleeing Jerusalem, has these amazing abilities at this time. In order to fully appreciate the control that he had on these people. And by the way, just so you know, Luke clearly sees Simon as a Jew living in the, the half-breed nation of Samaria. In fact, Gentiles really don't even come onto the scene until about chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Now, it's important to understand, you say, why is this important? A Jew in Samaria who who had great influence. Why Why is this important? Well, it's found in the words, this man is the power of God that is called great. This title shows us that Simon claimed deity for himself. In fact, we'll find in our historical, secular historical study that's coming in a little bit, that uh, I'll just come out and say it. Later in the life of Simon, Rome deified him. Rome declared that he was a small g God. But he claimed deity for himself. Gustav, the the theologian, brings this out. Now, take that and add it to what Justin the martyr said. Now, Justin the martyr, just if you don't know, is a first century Christian apologist and philosopher, who, by the way, was a Samaritan himself. He lived in this city. He wrote this about Simon the Magician all right, around 100 to 165 AD, he said this, Simon reported that he was the Messiah. Simon claimed to be the Messiah. Now let's just add this up a little bit. He also claimed to be deity and he was a Jewish person at the same time. And we begin to understand the control that he had on this community, but we really haven't even scratched the surface yet. Let us also remember that Samaritans were looking for a Jewish Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah. You remember well, the woman at the well in Samaria where Jesus talked to her. She said these words, I know that the Messiah himself is coming, he who is called the Christ. It was baked into the, 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 the mindset and the theology of the Samaritans that they are looking for a Jewish Messiah who claims to be God, Boom! Simon had an incredible influence on this community. So we need to hold all of this in our hands before we can fully appreciate where the dandelion seed called Philip is going to land. Samaritans are looking for a Messiah. And there was a Jew named Simon who declared himself to be a deity, performing astounding signs with immense power. Hence the words, this man is the power of God. Now all of a sudden that phrase just, just lifts off the page just a little bit. So convinced were the Samaritans that, now check this out, that all the people, where is it? All the people to claiming deity from small to great, rich to poor, to, to influence to none. We're paying attention to this man named Simon. This is, if I may insert this word, an anti-messiah, a false messiah. Here's what we must see. Philip has landed in a place where he will share the good news of the true Messiah in a city where many of them believed they already had him with them. How in the world do you present the true Christ in a city where where many believe he already lives amongst them? In fact, it says here, because for a long time he had astounded them with his amazing magical You see that there in the purple. Now, because of all of this, the power of God in Philip is flowing in a way that no other person outside the apostles have ever experienced. It had to be extraordinary, did it not? We already have the Messiah living in Samaria doing amazing things. How are you going to break that iron grip? Well, let us remember the context that precedes this. The crowds were giving attention to what Philip was saying. And they heard and they saw signs. You'll see it right here. And many who had unclean spirits were being freed of them. They were coming out of them. And the lame and the crippled were walking. This was amazing stuff. That is the context of what is going on while Simon is in the same place. Philip's signs served to break a messianic chain, ch- chains of Simon, who was the false messiah. Now, because of Philip's great power, both men and women placed their faith in Jesus and were being baptized. Simon was losing followers. Simon was losing his grip. And grab this... Simon is losing his followers to a Hellenistic, remember all that goes with that context, this Hellenistic, socially, culturally compromising outsider. He is losing his followers to a Hellenistic Jewish refugee. This is a piece of humble pie. It had to sting. So powerful was Philip's message that it could not be di- dismissed. So what is Simon to do? Simon's losing his battle. He's losing his influence. He's losing his market share. Finish this statement. If you cannot beat them, what? You join them. You join them. Knowing what Simon claimed, and that he was deity, a small messiah, all that, Justin the martyr, all that context that you see up there, Knowing what Simon claimed about himself and how he was viewed in the community, the fact that he too believed, you see that Luke here is surprised at what Simon did. In fact, it says here, even Simon himself believed and after was baptized. That would have been a mushroom cloud moment in the city of Samaria. The Messiah has submitted to another Messiah, the true one. In fact, you see the surprise in Luke's writing, or he wants to emphasize it when he says, even Simon! It highlights what's going on here. Now, I could spend hours unpacking the background of Simon. In fact, All those, no, let's move forward, all right? I could spend hours unpacking the background of Simon, the magician or sorcerer here, but let me just cut to the chase. I want you to grab this, grab this, because it's important to context, and this is where we're going to get some application in just a little bit. Simon was not a genuine conversion. Simon is not a genuine believer here. What we have here is the devil wanting to join the church. The devil is joining the church. This new thing called the church. The early sprouts of chaff in the midst of the wheat, if you will. Now you may say, how in the world can you draw this from the context? It will be drawn out in a moment within the context of these verses that we are studying this morning. But, but what is telling, even in above, before we even get there, because if there is a word that starts with N and ends with D and has an E and an R in the middle of it, if anything describes me, I am a what? Talk to me. Nerd. I'm a nerd. And I, nerds rule the world, all right? No. No, they don't I love the historical unpacking of this as well well the context will show this we're going to we'll see this in a moment it'll be drawn out in the later verses but what is telling is what is written in church history about Simon This is kind of a historical background before we even get to what the text says about him not being a genuine believer. We know his conversion was false because of what secular history tells us about him from multiple sources over multiple generations. So let me give you some of it. The early church called Simon the father of all heretics. All right. Actually says that. He is the father of all heretics. So as time went by, that's what he was known for. Another early century, uh, uh, let's just click it. I can't remember his name. It's something like erroneous. I, I, there he is, yes. Tells us that he kept the, co- the, 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 he kept the company of prostitutes and he preferred one and lived with one by the name of Helena. As we talked about earlier, Rome eventually deified Simon. So when you add those things up, there's even a little bit more here. He was called the father of Gnosticism, and F.F. F. Bruce brings that up. So history tells us that this is not a true conversion. It is the devil joining the church. In fact, verse 21 of Peter says, and we'll get there a little bit later, he says, you have no part or share in this matter of the Holy Spirit coming down." You need to repent and get right before God in this wickedness. We see two early signs that he is not a true convert found in two phrases. He continued on with Philip. Now you may think, well, that's just dedication. We read that through our lens, but we've got to see it through the early century lens and the historical lens as well. This word to continue with Philip means he attached himself to the man Philip. This word is almost exclusively reserved in the word of God to the devotion of prayer. The devotion of prayer. What we have here is an unhealthy and unusual personal attachment to the man, Philip. Not the God that Philip served or the Messiah, but the man himself, Philip. Luke tells us this right away. He attached himself to Philip because, and you'll see it right here, he observed great signs and miracles taking place, and he was uh, uh, constantly amazed at what Philip was doing. So we can see where the connection is attached to. His attachment to Philip was a quest to enhance his own power. He wanted what Philip could do. What we have here is really what Jesus spoke about in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says this, many believed in his name. Many believed in the name of Jesus, observing, notice the, the similarities here, noticing the signs and the miracles that Jesus was performing. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. That's kind of what we got going on here. Jesus was not satisfied, now grab this, with superficial faith that was only interested in signs and wonders. Because signs and wonders do not save. Repentant faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is the only door that leads to salvation. Amen? In fact, narrow is the road, Jesus, and what? Broad is the road of destruction. Let us remember the context in which that was said. The religious life is a broad road to destruction. A lot of times we like to apply it to the the evils out there in the world today. He's talking about self-righteous Judaism there. There are broad roads and grand rapids. Now grab this. Okay, grab this. Jesus is not satisfied with superficial faith and he did not give himself or redeem a shallow self-serving profession of faith. Oh, let that stick like Velcro on our hearts this morning. He did not give himself nor did he give salvation to shallow self-serving professions of faith. My friends, this ought to shake us to the core. Salvation is is not about a prayer. Salvation is not about a prayer. Prayer is a tool that delivers saving content. Prayer is a tool that delivers saving content. Prayer is the hose that delivers the water of true faith that saves our soul, not just from hell, but transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. True life-changing faith is the water that flows through the hose that is the prayer. For too long, we have pointed to the hose and said, See what I have stretched out? See what my children have stretched out? But no water of life-changing, life-changing, life-changing repentance, three prongs, repentant, life-changing faith, has flowed through the hose that is the sinner's prayer. It is like a person's whose house is on fire and they they, they 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 stretch out the hose. For too long we have pointed to the hose and said, Look what I have stretched out, but no water of life has flowed through it. It is like a person's whose house is on fire, and they stretch out a hose, and nothing flows through it, and his house is still burning down, and he says to you, and he says to me, My my house is saved. What would you say to someone who was holding a hose on their burning house but never had any water flow through it? Talk to me. What would you say? Talk to me. It ain't working. working. You're a moron, religiously speaking, and intellectually speaking, and spiritually speaking. What needs to go through the hose? Talk to me. Water, faith, repentance. It is not the hose that will save your house. It is not the hose that will save your house. It is the water of repentant faith that flows through it. Here's a question. Have you ever turned on the water? Or do we just hold that religious holes called the sinner's prayer and say, look at the hose of my profession of faith. How ridiculous does this picture look? It is absolutely ridiculous. But spiritually speaking, generations within the church have done this and are doing this. Salvation is a matter of God completely changing our hearts The prayer must have life-changing, repentant faith flowing through it, making us a new creation, a creation that says, I don't want to live for myself anymore, but for Jesus in his glory. All I want is Jesus Christ. My friends, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see this truth. One of the most fearful realities in all of Scripture is that someone who thinks they are saved and are actually eternally deceived and lost holding in their hand nothing more than an empty hose called a profession of faith. Faith that has not transformed our heart is not saving faith. It is a dry hose. True faith is the divine transformation of a soul from the love of self to the love of God. It is not enough to say, I believe. Demons believe. Satan believes. Away from me, I never knew you. Belief alone does not save. So let me qualify that. The belief must have content. And what is that content? A repentant. Life-turning, never-ending movement towards the will and the love and the desire of Jesus Christ. Here is the question. What are we holding? Beloved, let us stop pointing to the profession of our faith. As the evidence of salvation, and look at what Scripture says is the evidence of true salvation a faith that transforms our life and love for Christ with all of our hearts. Oh, here's a public service announcement for all of us here today, but especially to parents and their children. Stop making excuses for your children or yourselves. Stop making excuses for your children's unbelieving behavior by pointing to their empty hose of profession. A date written in the Bible is not evidence of salvation. A life transformed for Christ is. The single most unloving thing a parent can do is convince their children they are saved while they live a life that does not pursue Christ. Let me just make a bold statement here. If you are not pursuing Christ, you don't have Him. You have a hose. Church... Affirm this with an amen. The gospel is not dormant. Is it dormant in your life? It is the power of God unto salvation. How dare we claim salvation that has no power? It is not an empty host. And may I make one more application from these verses? Notice there is one gospel for all people, no matter their culture, no matter their background, from Western to Eastern culture. Let me be clear, as times change, we need to be sensitive to the cultural differences and adjust to be more effective in our uh, sharing of the gospel. But hear this, the goal of the church is not to always do things the same way. That is, a, that is an idol. It is the worship of an idol. The goal of the church is not to always do the same things the same way. The goal of the church is to always proclaim the same gospel. We do not change the message to fit the culture It is the same gospel for all people in all times. And it is this, all have sinned, all need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the only one that can save those who call on Him. Now with all that being said, Samaritans are coming to Christ. Allow the months of historical study, fill your mind right now. Dogs, unclean dogs, that if you share a bread loaf of bread with, is like eating swine, is coming to Christ. How did the Jews view Samaritans? I just told you, so we'll go past that. Now grab this, grab this. What do you do? This is like, and I'm sorry, this is like someone in Columbus, Ohio coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How many here would be skeptical? By a raise of hands. Of course we would. What is this divination we hear about? So what do they do? They send kind, compassionate Peter and loudmouth John. It's actually the other way around. They send the two leaders from the mother church in Jerusalem to check it out. The thought of a Samaritan being included into the kingdom of God would be shocking to a Hebrew Jew. Hopefully you remember that. Who despised them with their ugly racism. Racism is not the original sin of America. Racism is as old as mankind. The love of self, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's as old as mankind. In this ugly racism, they sent Peter and John And they began laying their hands on these Samaritans and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Let's just cut to the chase here. Why did the Holy Spirit not indwell these Samaritans immediately upon salvation like the rest of Scripture says he does? Just to note, Scripture clearly teaches that all believers receive the Holy Spirit through faith the moment of salvation. We see it in Romans 9, 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 6, Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, and on and on and on and on it goes. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, not by dragging a hose out, But by having repentant, life-changing faith that is not dormant, James, the book of James, flows through that. We receive a deposit until the day of redemption to cheer and to guide and convict us called the presence of the living God, Holy Spirit. Amen? We all have, if we have true life-changing faith flowing through that hose, we all have the Holy Spirit. So why not here? Why not here? Should I, too, wait for another impartation of the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I need to wait? Do I place my faith in Jesus Christ and then maybe later the elders will lay hands on me and then at a second time I'll receive some sort of Holy Spirit moment? It's important to note that Acts is a transitional book. We're going to get into a little bit of theology here, and this is good because we need to know and study God. How many here would agree we do not need to keep studying ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to study about God through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? I really don't need any more of me. I I tend to be the problem in my life. Can I get a witness on that at all? We always think our problem is that which is outside of us. We know it's almost always the case about what's inside of us. Acts is a transitional book from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Israel has rejected Jesus in this new community called the Ecclesia, The church is being established to declare the gospel message to the ends of the earth. All the way into Samaria. The Bride of Christ. We cannot study the book of Acts as normative, but as transitional. It is a transitional moment in time. The book of Acts, in many ways, is, is a moving day of God's redemptive plan from the, the old covenant to the new covenant. Allow me to put these cookies on the lowest shelf, and you could argue this to pieces, but I hope what you see is the, the main principle I'm trying to communicate here. Acts is like the week you move from one house to the other. When you move from one house to the other, not because you made a mistake, but because it's time to move. When you move to one house or the other, that is a transitional week, is it not? If you can understand what I'm saying, say yes. It's a transitional week, right? Where do you find things? When, 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 when By the way, this is when you find out who your friends are. Can I get a witness on that at all? Hey, I'm moving. When someone says I'm moving, I just say, I'm busy that day. I don't even ask when. I'm busy that day. I'll make sure of it. Therefore, it's the truth, and I bring glory to God. All right? Now, when you move and you have all these friends, Luke, why are you laughing? You, have you been busy on those days? Okay, thanks. Thanks for your help, brother. All right. Now, when you move and you have 10 or 12 friends move you and they put stuff into your house and it's time to, to find the silverware, you need a fork, and it's moving time. Where do you find that fork? Talk to me. Is it in that drawer? That's very convenient next to your three junk drawers where a fourth one is about to be birthed out. How many here have more than one junk drawer? Anyone at all? All right. It's because you're rich. All right. When you need a fork on moving time, where do you find that fork? Just give me some places. Basements. What's that? In a box? Thank you. We transferred our forks one at a time. Yes, in a box, absolutely. In the garage, wherever they get laid, that's where we find them. Acts is like the week that you move from one house to another. It is transitional where you put things and do things. is not how you normatively would do them. When you move, you might find the silverware in the garage next to the generator. But no one in their right mind would say... You will always find the silverware in the garage. This is where the boomsmiths keep their forks. It is an exception to the norm. This is an exception to the norm. No one in their right mind would say, hey, the silverware are in the garage. To go to the book of Acts and say this is how the Holy Spirit works is like going to your friend's house years later after you help them move and and someone says, hey, do you know where the silverware is? And Luke says, absolutely, it's in the garage next to the generator. Because that's where I found it one time. No one would say that. There are only three times in all of the word of God where the holy spirit is 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 bestowed like this i.e. a delay and each were extremely special circumstances to underscore a here it is fresh move of god a fresh move of god Wherever new ground is broken, and I think we can all agree with our months of background study and context through, through exegetical teaching, just falling in on this text. I think as Samaritans are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, this is new ground being broken. Amen? These, these, these unclean are coming clean. By the way, all three are because doubt might, might exist to the authenticity. Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 8. And isn't that what we have here? A question of authenticity? We cannot see this in a, in a contextual vacuum. This is not one verse Christianity time. This is not my full teaching of pneumatology based on three five-finger discount verses. The divisive history between the Jews and the Samaritans and the newness of this new thing called the church, this delay coming of the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans through the apostles, Peter and John, who by the way, are highly thought of in the mother church of Jerusalem. If there's ever someone to authenticate what is going on, it is Peter and John that rhymed. It authenticates that these are not second class believers but rather they are full members of the body of Christ with the same Holy Spirit as those who received him in Jerusalem. This confirms here that it is one church unified and equal in Jesus Christ. There is now no slave, no free, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. We are equal partakers in Jesus Christ. Amen? There's nothing special about me. We are all on the same footing in the church of Jesus Christ. But let me finalize this. If you run into someone, and I mean this lovingly, who uses the book of Acts as their primary source to teach a more charismatic theology that after salvation there is a second work of the Holy Spirit, and the book of Acts is their primary proof text, We must remember this is a unique transitional moment of the church. The silverware of pneumatology is not kept in Acts. The full and normative teaching of the Holy Spirit is found in the rest of the New Testament. Now let's get back to Simon, the false Messiah. And we're going to wrap it up here. What are we looking at? What time is it? You guys want me to just quit right now? (laughs) That was a false choice. All right. We are almost done. And there's no evening service tonight, so I'm going to take some of that time. Children, by the way, people in children's ministry love that philosophy. What were we talking about? Let's get back to Simon. While not recorded here, it is clear that when the Holy Spirit came upon these unlikely new believers, members of the body of Christ, they exhibited a clear and powerful signs, much like the apostles experienced on Pentecost. Maybe there was a, a loud rushing wind. Maybe uh, uh, what, tongues of fire. Maybe they spoke in many languages. Whatever the case may be, it was visible. In fact, it says here, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was giving through the laying of hands... On the apostles' hands, Peter and John, something powerful happened. But look, look, he offered the money, saying, give this authority to me as well. I've been attached to Philip by the hip. Clearly, you can give me more than even Philip can give, so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And now we see why Simon is attached to Philip in an unhealthy way. His faith is not real. He sees them as an advanced peer in sorcery. He wants to buy the ability for himself. He wants the power they have. And Peter starts exercising his spiritual gift, which, tongue-in-cheek, is what, church? What is his gift? Anger! By the way, this is the same guy... No, it's not the same guy. Who wanted to rain down fire from heaven on the Samaritans? Was that James and John? What's that? Okay, thank you. So John was one of them. There. James? No, it's James and John. Let's move forward, all right? I just got back from vacation. <laughs> Peter is emotionally charged here. Peter is a passionate person. Why? Because nothing God has is for sale. By the way, your works can't buy it either. Neither can mine. And by the way, this is where we get the word simony. Simony. Simony is the purchase of spiritual positions. Simony is the purchase of spiritual positions. It is the self-advancement in church leadership. How many here are thankful that this word most of us have never heard before, simony? How many are glad that there is no spirit of personal advancement within the church today? Amen? Now we may see this word simony, write it down if you've never heard it, because you will see it the rest of your days in the church, because there is always chaff amongst the wheat. They make it about themselves, that's what Simon is doing here. We might say, well, no one here tries to purchase the office of eldership. So let me push it to a more convincing and convicting place. He wants to purchase his place in the leadership movement of the church. Now that we do see. Simon tried to obtain spiritual power in order to promote himself forward in the church. This happens all the time in the church today, and it follows a very old and tired pattern. People who want to advance themselves and move up in leadership. By the way, can I just tell you, that is an illusion. Moving up in church leadership. The further you move up in church leadership, the less rights you have. Let this mind be in you, that which is also in Jesus Christ. People who want to move up in church leadership positions seek to purchase their way there. Now, not so much with money, although it is tried from time to time. I've experienced it here with visitors who take me out to eat and buy me dinner and make it very clear that if they attend Trinity, they demand to be in leadership. I usually make sure they pay the bill before I give them their answer. I'm not dumb, and I order the steak. I don't know if you've ever had McDonald's steak, but it's good. (laughs) Not so much with money, although it is tried. They usually try to purchase with an initial down payment called flattery. Flattery. Then, if flattery does not advance them into leadership, they start ministry fires. Ministry fires that only they can put out. They get to be the hero firefighter that puts out their own work of arson. If that does not generate advancement, they will move to undercut and accuse people of evil. If that does not work, they will simply declare everything corrupt. But make no mistake, it's simony. The desire to gain or promote oneself to a place of authority and power. Not too long ago, a pastor friend of mine was dealing with this. This is a true story. happened a couple years ago. He went through all those stages, flattery, ministry fires, then accusations, then declarations of corruptness. They finally had to meet with the gentleman, uh, and and the gentleman met with them, and he tipped his hat, he fell into the chair, and he exhaled, it's happening all over again. And a pastor friend of mine said, what's happening again? And he tipped his hat, and he said, despite all my efforts, no matter where I go, I can never advance myself into the elder position. That ought to bring shudders. But you want to know what? This is all I have before I'm done. So I want you to hear this. Don't go away. It's not enough to point to extreme examples outside of this church. So let me point to one inside this church. And I will point to them by name. Me. It's not enough to point to other people. You want to know who has to be the most careful about simony? It's me. I've told you and I will tell you again and I will tell you until the day I am no longer your shepherd. I am the most dangerous person in this church. If I preach and teach In order to gain recognition or status for myself, I am engaged in simony. So my friends, hear me today. There is no greatness in me outside of Jesus Christ. I am not a great man. I am not a great man of God. I am a tiny man of a great and merciful God. And there is only one hero in the church And his name is Jesus Christ. And if God puts me in the position of leadership, in this church, may I be used for His glory. If He puts me in charge of the toilets for His bride, may I clean Him for for His glory. For Jesus does not exist that I may advance myself, but rather I exist that the Son of the living God might be exalted. Oh, forgive me, my Lord, of any simony that clings to my heart today, for Christ alone is to be praised. Have you had any simony cling to you? My friends, this passage gives us a clear example of what true and false salvation looks like. Wheat and tares. Those who are truly saved only want the advancement of Jesus Christ, Philip. Those who have a false profession of faith see Jesus as a means to advance themselves. If Jesus is only your ticket out of hell, and that is all he is, who have you advanced? Which one describes us most? You know Dan Pauling said about 10 days ago in prayer meeting and this is his and I thought it was awesome Simon was described at the end as being full of gall, bitterness and the bondage of unrighteousness which means his heart was empty and his life was captive to sin And my brother said this The question rises Am I the opposite of Simon? If that's who Simon is, am I the opposite of that? If Simon is the gall of bitterness, am I the sweetness of joy? If Simon is the bondage of unrighteousness, am I the freedom of righteousness? If Simon is the bondage of unrighteousness, am I the freedom of righteousness? May we have the integrity to not just answer those questions but then act on them. What's in your hand? Is it an empty hose? Or does it flow with life-changing, repentant faith? Gracious Father, your word is almost too sharp. Convict us, cheer us, guide us, but above all else, transform us for your glory alone. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.